Yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's it's good to be to be back in this hemisphere and whatnot. Uh, and I do. I. I <laughs> yeah, Miguel is excited about that. I am too. I got to experience the miracle of flight recently, and uh, it's quite an amazing thing. I flew on an Airbus eight thirty. Is that what it's called? Three eight three eighty. The largest aircraft created in all mankind. Sorry, Boeing. The, I flew on a Dreamliner on the way there, and the Airbus was way cooler. It was such an. It was like a building in the air. It was cool. Anyway, I was just in Australia, so this morning I'm coming to you with. It's like who likes like doughy soft cookies, like the half baked kind. Yeah, so this is like half baked but full of full of excitement and sugar. Uh, but I just a few things. I was there for eight days, gone for twelve. I don't know how that works out, but I drank about thirty strong flat whites. That's what I order there. I want to say that I had a coffee at a McDonald's that was far superior than any coffee I've ever had in this city. So there you go. They really are serious about it. It's incredible. I spoke. Uh, I think I spoke 14 times uh, in those eight days. It was really wild. But I just want to share some stories of the other people, not of me, uh, because I think it's just really exciting stuff that's happening there. And this isn't the sermon. This is just what you get right now. Uh, but uh, so there was a group of people that I got to hang out with from Perth, Australia, which is the western part of Australia, uh, the most remote city in the world. And that's what they call it. And it really is. It's incredibly far away. Like you go to Australia and then it's eight hours of a flight from there, you know, from Sydney to Perth and very, very far away. And but in that city, there's a church that is called the Common and they have, they host a, a missional community where they just have spaghetti and meatballs and they serve it every Friday night in this part of the city that's just a, a common grassy area that's, you know, they describe as usually weeds and dirt and really tough place with uh, groups of, of Australians that have been marginalized for most of the history of the, the continent since, you know, settlers got there and Anyway, they've been hosting this meal and the table just keeps getting longer and longer. And they're now, uh, having done that for 11 years, seeing um, these kids and these, and these women and men uh, come to faith and then lead others to faith who are then leading other people to faith in this neighborhood as it gets made new by just the power of relationships. Uh, they don't have any money at all. It's a hilarious. They keep talking like they're not, they're not savior people at all. They don't have anything they can really throw in except for relationship and just seeing the power of that. Uh, in Melbourne, I got to go to this church that had, uh, they said 60 nationalities and like 300 people and they have all these different languages. They made me speak Portuguese and Spanish from the stage. That was really fun. Got to meet a man from Mozambique, but probably the most interesting thing is how they are reaching hindu students uh in this in the the central part of melbourne where basically what they're doing is just trying to be like how can we uh be family and community to these people that don't have any and just love them and go on walks and be patient and long long suffering uh, another just a cool story is uh there's this guy in melbourne who became a christian because 
he showed up to a jujitsu night during COVID, like a covert operation. And in this jujitsu club, there's several people from this church that were also doing the covert COVID operation because in Melbourne, they were locked down completely until like 2022. You should look it up. It's wild. Uh, anyway, they were very safe and very healthy for a very long time. And anyway, they, uh, they, this guy just kind of showed up and uh, they're all Christians and they you know, asked him why he was there. And then they described how jujitsu is this really intimate thing. And I was like, oh, like you share your stories? And they're like, no, no, you're really sweaty and you're just grabbing people. It's very intimate. And so because of that, you actually try to get to know each other really well. And so this guy, Sebastian, became really good friends uh, with them and then did a thing called the Alpha Course, which is this great program that helps people process questions they have about faith and he got to the end of it and they're like, so are you a Christian? And he's like, no, I don't think so, uh, but I'd love to do another course. And so then they were like, oh yeah, cool. We have another course, it's called Beta, but that doesn't exist. There's no such thing as Beta. So they just made up a course and he went to it. And then after that, they're like, so I want, he's like, where are you with your faith? He's like, I just, I don't think I'm a Christian yet. And then, so they created another course, Gamma. They're like, we got another one. And so they went four, four letters deep in the Greek alphabet which is pretty great. Uh, and then they're like, are you still a Christian? No, and anyway, he became part of everything that the community was doing. And then uh, the, my friend Pete would take him out to coffee once a month and just be like, so where are you with this Jesus thing? I don't think I believe. And then he went through a baptism class. I just don't think I believe. And then uh, recently, three weeks ago, this is like since 2021 or something, uh, a few weeks ago, he said, you know what? I'm a Christian, Pete. And uh, I, I think I've been a Christian for a really long time. <laughs> and he was like, I think so too. And so then uh, he, was, uh, he's, he was baptized yesterday slash today. It's very confusing. He was baptized on Sunday in Australia, uh, which is just really fantastic. I, I, I think I could just share stories and stories of just about how the church is operating. And that's just a tiny sliver. Like I didn't meet the whole Australian church and... And I think you could probably get on a plane and get off of it and go hang out with some Christians and hear this truth that Jesus is good everywhere. Like Jesus is good everywhere. Jesus is good in every language. He's good in every place, in every culture, in every subculture, uh, in places so remote you've never heard of. Like, and he is still good. That's what, what Paul talks about when he says that, that the, the world, like, is pouring forth knowledge about who God is and, and everyone gets to understand the grace of God. It doesn't matter how far the psalmist described that the stars and the moon are just pouring forth knowledge and joy over and over again to all creation. And that, that Jesus is not just good in our little culture. Uh, sometimes we were like, maybe think that Jesus might not be good enough. Uh, but I just wanna remind you that Jesus is very, very good. Uh, and he's good in every language, and he's good in every culture. And then the question for us is then, how do I live underneath that truth here? If God is good in Africa, or if God is good in Asia, if God is good in Europe, and I live here though, it doesn't feel very exciting. You know, I feels very, it's a lot more exciting being in Australia. People take me very seriously. They think I'm really smart. Like all of these things. It's like, it's really, you know, and you're there for a short time and you're like, I better make the most of it, you know? But here we are in our normal lives, you know? 
Uh, and it's hard, I think, to think that, is Jesus really good in this normal life today? Is he tearing down walls? Is he calling people to himself? Is he growing the gospel even within our own hearts? Uh, and so I actually, I, I want us to take just a few minutes in groups of two or three right now and just kind of pray. And you could, it could be a prayer of confession to one another um, where you're like, yeah, I, I struggle to believe that Jesus is good everywhere, including in my life. It can be an asking of God, like just teach me how to live underneath that truth in my everyday. You can pray whatever you want. I don't get to choose that for you. So for two or three minutes, you guys, uh, in groups of two or three, pray for two or three minutes. I, that's not what I meant to say, but that's what we're going to do now. So pray for two or three minutes in groups of two or three around Jesus being good everywhere. So we're going to continue our, pass- our study on Philippians. Uh, we're picking up where Casey left off last week. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And today, you're going to have to work a little harder for you know that. So you're going to have to pull up the passage yourself on your phone. You can Google it. You can just press into the Google machine, Philippians 2. That's with two, three Ps total, one L, Philippians Uh, And it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. And I'm going to read it in the NIV. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works both in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. This, uh, this passage reminds me of, of just a, a secret underlying suspicion feeling that I have often as a Christian. It reminds me of this thing that sometimes I put away. It's like a skeleton in the closet. You know, you kind of lock it away and every now and then it comes out. I guess at Halloween, the skeleton comes out. Anyway, it's that Christianity is, seems to be schizophrenic. Like, like in this case, There's a part of the Christianity and the gospel which says that you are all good now. Because of Jesus, you are good and you are free. You're no longer in chains. You're like set free. It's all grace. We hear that. We read that. There's there's nothing you do. There's no effort. There's nothing. It's just all grace, all Jesus. It's all his work, not your work. Uh, You know, you can come and often, you know, hear us even preach sermons that say it's like, yeah, there's, there's all of this that you're called to do, but God does it for you in Jesus. It's his work in your place, so you're good. Your, your identity is shift. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Like, how good is that? And that God works all things together for his good, 
He's working. You don't have to work. It's his story. No longer your story. It's all his will. It's not your will. It's all grace, not effort, right? You heard that's like good news. Yeah. Amen. But then there's also this other side that says, obey. Don't sin. Don't do blank. Uh, make sure you never, ever, you know, do that sin. Make sure that you organize your life. Be afraid. Be trembling. Live underneath the fear of God who is watching uh, your life and that you have a responsibility to be obedient to the life that God has called you. And so you might think, well, which is it? How do you make sense of that? Is it all grace and I just get to walk and have his identity poured over me? Or do I need to really focus on obedience because it's, there's a responsibility that I have? Am I the only one that has a skeleton in the closet? I don't think so. And that's what I think I like about this passage. It's all about that interchange of Christ's powerful work and our obedience. And so today, I just want to look at this kind of back and forth that we see throughout the New Testament and maybe be less fearful of the skeleton in the closet and more confident that actually God isn't schizophrenic. So that's, you know, that's just a subtle lie. He's not schizophrenic. But then what, what is he and what's happening? Uh, part one, we could look at and just say, oh, I guess it's obedience. You know, verse 12 is pretty clear. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, just as you have always obeyed. That's pretty great. They're really good friends. Paul's like, you always obey. And obedience here is, the context is if you look ahead to what Casey read and what everyone looked at last week, it's talking about how Jesus was obedient to God the Father, obedient to death, even on the cross. So the obedience here is, is to hear God's voice, to hear his commands, to hear what he wants, and then to do it. Does that make sense? Not like obey recycling rules or something like that, but the living God communicating to you through his word, through his people, through his spirit, this is what it looks like to follow God, and then you do that thing, right? That, I mean, obedience isn't that hard of a concept, but I think sometimes we, we forget about it. And, and this is an evident truth throughout all of Scripture. James says, let's not just be hearers of the gospel, but let's be doers of the gospel, that we would actually enact a life that reflects the gospel. And also, Paul connects it to your, the working out of your salvation. That's, that's, a, that's a, to our ears, might be an odd phrase, where he says, continue, as if, uh, they've already started and they're going to keep doing it. And he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't say continue to work to earn your salvation or continue to work and create your salvation. The phrase is work it out, which is kind of something that we will tell our kids at different times. And I'm sure you got told when you were a kid, when you and your sibling are fighting or it, debating how Monopoly should go in the last couple rounds, and your parent just says, work it out. Figure it out. Or, you know, Michael Scott says, uh, work it out amongst yourselves, right? That's a great episode that five of y'all have seen. 
It's also, this is probably a more poetic example. It's like if you've been given an instrument, like someone hands you a guitar and you have a guitar now and you strum, strum it one time, that makes you a guitarist. Like you have a guitar and you've played guitar. And if people come and be like, are you, you're, you're, you're a musician now, you've done it. But then what you have to do is be faithful to actually work out how to play it in a way that it, it actually works, right? Some of the musicians are like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, you have little violin students and they pick up the violin and you're like, you, you tell them, hey, you're a violin player now but you have to work it out, right? You have to then dedicate yourself to being a person who can actually bring music out of it, right? I think that's some of the, the reality here, that you've been given a life in Christ, a life underneath the Jesus story, the story that, that appears in the first half of chapter two, where Christ uh, releases uh, equality with God, comes into the world, lives in this world, uh, dies for it out of obedience to raise not just himself, but all others to Christ. And that we're li living this abundant life now where we all bow down and we worship him. And we're supposed to, we've been given that story. Now we need to, to work out how do I live out that story? How do I actually commit my gifts, my talents, my abilities, uh, the, the ethical situations that I have before me? How do I put all of that underneath the truth of his life, death, and resurrection. And so I think that uh, obedience in the Christian life is so much greater than just following rules and figuring out what is wrong and what is right. You know, that's why we don't as a church often come out with lots of papers or documents that some churches do is like, is it okay to do this? You know, uh, let's, let's, let's tell the whole church if it's okay or not to double park. You know, there's, there's double parking. It's happening a lot in this city. Let us tell you if it's okay or not. Why don't we do that? Because the Christian life is to actually put, to, we're supposed to teach you how can I put myself underneath Jesus as king and work it out amongst myself to be obedient and faithful in every aspect of life. Obedience in the Christian life is taking up your place underneath Jesus's purpose in the world and to listen and to obey him to listen to through the agency of his word to listen to the spirit to listen to his people and then obey so you're like great it's the obedience one and then he says this i mean he says work out your faith with fear and trembling really great then it says for it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose oh so it's god who works in me. And this is pretty, I mean, it's a great structure here. For it is God who works in you to will and then to act in order that you would fulfill his good purposes. And it's not just like his good purpose for you. So it's not like, oh, he's gonna, you know, inception you and then make something happen that's good for you. This is, no, he, it's his will, his desire, his longing and then he's gonna actually act within your life that you would fulfill his good purposes for all things. And, th and that, that's where I think you might begin to feel the fear and the trembling. I think that's where that comes out, fear and trembling right there. 
I think if I could go on another ledge and say that it's like working with a genius or something. Everybody who, if you watch actors and actresses describe working for a great director, and they talk about Martin Scorsese or Spielberg or something like that, and they describe their first time on set being one of fear and trembling because they know they're coming on set and there's a genius behind the camera who's going to guide and direct them and they just want to live up to that bar and they want to be like, oh, there's somebody who is good and great and beautifully minded and they're going to mold and shape what I do through my art for the next several weeks as we shoot. I think that that's the, the reality of those of us who put ourselves in the kingdom of God by believing in Jesus. And then we have this fear and trembling because we know that there is a, a master at work. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, that, that we've, we've been made God's masterpiece and there's good things for us to do and we should walk in those things that there is a masterpiece and that it is God and he is working to fulfill all of his purposes. And I think if that doesn't fill us with a little bit of awe and a little bit of trembling of what is he going to do with us or a little bit of reverence of he's the greatest storyteller of all time, how, what kind of story is he gonna write with me? I think that's the, the kind of fear and trembling. And it's so good because it's better than just creating some happy life or good life. It's all about fulfilling his good purpose. That everything that is happening in your life and all that is going on and all that God is speaking to you through this community and every time you read the scriptures, you would be shifting and changing and that God would be fulfilling his purpose in you. And so I just kind of beg you a little bit, here's my pleading, is that sometime this week you might pause and you ask, what is God actually doing inside of me? How is he, what, what kind of purpose is he fulfilling with me and all of this stuff? What kind of activity is going on? And, it, and, and the question doesn't ask, I don't want you to ask, God, are you doing something inside of me? Are you doing something with me? But I want you to ask God, what is it that you're doing inside of me? Because it's his will and activity within you. Uh, I think it also reminds me just as a, a biblical example, that's probably better than the learning how to play guitar and being a actor on set with Scorsese is when God rescues his people out of Egypt. Uh, they're groaning, they're asking, they want to be rescued. God hears their voices. He comes, he rescues through Moses and Aaron and Miriam. They come to the, to the sea. There's the army pressing down on them. It's like, oh, we were liberated for a few hours. What's gonna happen now? They sit, they wait. God opens the seas. They walk through the sea and they suddenly watch all of their oppressors get swallowed up and they are free, like as free as they possibly can be. And then it's in that desert that God, God has already redeemed them. They're already, God says, I've rescued you, uh, like, like being on eagle's wings. He also says that they're now a holy nation, his priests declaring who God is to the rest of the world, but then he calls them to obedience. 
And I think that that's what he does even in the desert as they're walking around and they're learning what God is actually like and what it means to put every aspect of their life underneath his rule and reign. I think that's what basically Paul is describing when it says, now work it out with fear and trembling because you've been saved. And now you're in this story. So that's the dichotomy. Does that make sense? Maybe. Now, maybe it's still schizophrenic. I might give it another go next week. But then he tells us how to obey and how to live this out. He says, do it all. Do all of these things without grumbling and without arguing. Do all of it without grumbling and arguing. He gives this emphatic challenge to obey God without moaning and complaining and criticizing God like background noise. So this word grumbling is straight up taken from the Exodus and Numbers account of the story of the people of God, where, the, where every time it's used as grumbling, it's not just one complaint, but it's like that's just what they are doing all the time. It's just sort of this cacophonous noise that's in the background, right? Which maybe I shouldn't have turned the mic off because then it would have just been a humming. And that would be an example. It's that kind of just humming, constant, steady grumbling. And it's kind of a, it's a heart situation that gets described and, and portrayed in the book of Exodus. Uh, it's like what we've said all year, that, that we long for all of us to have hearts that are satisfied in Christ. And the opposite of that is grumbling, never satisfied, never satisfied in your heart. And the temptation with all of this, this environment where it's like we're called to obedience, to hear God's voice and have him work through our lives and to see his whole purpose fulfilled, the temptation is to grumble and argue with God every step of the way. Like for every step of the way, the temptation is for us to say, I don't quite like that. I don't quite like that. Why did you have to do it this way? Couldn't you have done it another way? Uh, I was actually just with a, one of my really good friends in Australia. He's like a giant of a man. I mean, he's not physically, but like spiritually a giant of a man. And he, every time I've hung out with him, we drive past this church that he was kicked out of like two decades ago. And he always goes back to, I just don't know why God did that. Like, I don't know why God allowed that whole thing to happen, but here I am. And I guess God's done something good for my life. And he's like, what he's kind of understanding and growing in as a 65-year-old man is, oh, like God wants me just to yield these parts and to stop arguing with him and complaining with him about that thing that happened a long time ago because it's not the way I would have written my story. And so this is the temptation Paul is saying. In this life, you're going to be called to obedience. God's going to be working within you and you're going to grumble and argue with him about it, but he's calling you straight up don't do that uh, if you return back to the story of the people in the desert they get out there they're free they're no longer in egypt and there's no food and there's no water there's like nothing for them at all there's no homes there's no roads and so the people complain and i think what's interesting is through that story you can read exodus 15 and 16 later along with your question that's can be your homework What's interesting about the story is God never dismisses their need. Like through the whole thing, 
It's like, yeah, you are thirsty. There is no water around here. There is no food. You're right. That the need that they're, they're frustrated with is all real. Every, every step of the way, their grumbling is tied to a real physical need and a lack. The issues were real and they mattered and they also mattered to God. Actually, just one little, little verse from uh, Exodus chapter 16, because I think sometimes we're like, we're real down on the grumbling. But it says this in chapter 16, verse 9, Moses tells Aaron, say to the entire Israelites, come before the Lord. He has heard your grumbling. When Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And then, then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you will eat meat. In the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Then that evening quail comes in the morning. There's the manna or the what is it that's just there on the ground and they eat. And I think I bring all of that up to say, because when Paul uses this word grumbling in Philippians 2, he's expecting people to remember that, that story. The people walking around complaining and arguing with God every step of the way but also revealing the heart of God that at every step of the way, he actually meets their needs and he hears them. So stop complaining, stop moaning, stop criticizing God because he is the living God. But also know that God is aware of your needs and aware of what is going on. In this story, the glory is shining in the desert. They're complaining. Their hearts are no good at all. And yet God still comes to them. God still gives them all of the bread. He actually meets their needs. And it's this one weird aspect of, I think, the way we experience God is we think that it's working. Like we think that the grumbling is working. We think that if we complain enough, and if we let God know how unsatisfied we are with him enough, he would, like a good waiter, will give us a discount on our dessert. Like that's what we think, that that's what's going to end up happening. Also, I think the grumbling and the arguing with God has to do with a, a, a limited perspective. And the limited perspective is this, is, is, is our life like your life, your like vapor life that you're going to have here? It, is it the main course? Meaning like, this is what there is. Like this is the filet mignon of your existence. Or if you're a vegetarian, like your portobello mushroom. Is that what it is of your existence? Or is this like when you go to the restaurant and they give you some water and some like bread and some butter. And you're like, this is pretty good. But I know there's a greater thing coming, right? And so I think that that's what the, the Israelites missed is that they've already been redeemed and they're headed to this promised land and they're going to be given a land of milk and honey and their time in the desert isn't the main course, but they get stuck and fixated on it like this is all there is. And we do the same thing. We think, oh, I'm not quite right perfect. I'm not like quite right obedience wise. God's not really doing what I want him to do in my life. And we think this is all there is. What's happening right now is what's going to always be happening. 
And Paul says, don't grumble and stop arguing. And this is the way towards purity, so that then you can be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. One of the great ways that we can be people who kind of stand out and display the kingdom of God is to be people who don't like complain and grumble as like the hum of our life. That's why we've asked us this year to become people of joy and contentment, joy and satisfaction. And so I ask us to consider this because Paul gets it. In verse 17, he says, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying, even if, as he said many times already in this book, even if the end is coming really quickly and it's like I'm going to be slaughtered like a lamb go, like going into the butcher house, even if that is my end, I'm rejoicing and I'm glad because this momentary life has been filled with Christ's will and work within me. And so I hope that that's what you can like. Is God schizophrenic? I don't think so. I think it's like a master like working within every part of our life and our understanding that we might know the goodness of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its uh, sometimes complexity and confusing nature because it just brings us into this big dependence of you are God and we are not. Uh, And we yield to you. Uh, We yield our lives to you. We're thankful that You call us to obedience. We're also thankful that you are at work within us to bring about your good purpose. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.